Can you hear me okay? I can hear you perfectly. In fact, we're live. So there we go. Everybody can hear you. Yeah, I know. Episode 36 of the We All Serve podcast. That's right. We are back. We are back. And you know, Angel, before we get into our topic over here, you know what the number 36 symbolizes to me? Uh, No. Okay. So I, uh, I'm still fascinated by your deployments um, in the Navy. Uh, you've been to Israel once or more than once? I didn't go to Israel in the Navy. We're supposed to go there um, on the George Washington. We're going to go to Haifa. But then the coal got the coal, the USS coal was in our strike group and they got blown up in Yemen and they canceled all port visits. And we ended up getting, you know, staying underway for like a hundred days or something like that. The, oh. I, went to, I went to Israel um, when I went to study in grad school and uh, I got to go to Collar, I think it's Collar or um, Reconati, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so I misunderstood. I thought you were there uh, through the Navy, but okay, that's that's really cool. So, um, number thirty-six. Uh, so in, in Hebrew, the like uh, you've probably seen the necklaces. Chai, chai means means life. So the basically the numerical value of the letters um, chai, which again Hebrew word for life, is eighteen. Everything is in numbers. So. 2 times 18 is 36. So this is how my mind works is that as we schedule this I was super excited because this is like a this is a great episode number. So it's very appropriate that we've got such great guests. That's You're neat. like whatever. Hey, do you guys have any numbers that you like don't like to use because in in Mandarin they have numbers like the number 4 I think it's e or sun woo bush or something like that. Um I used to speak Mandarin but um they uh they don't like the number 4 you guys have any numbers you don't like? Not really. No. Not no. really. Uh, okay. Hey, no. you know what's the cool number? The number of years our guest has been, uh, been in, the, in the army. Oh, my God. That's a oh. huge number. He makes me feel like a youngster. Are you calling like him I old? To that guy. We can have a conversation about his age because he's not live. So, yeah, like, that's true. I mean, I could see, by the way, I could see his face and his reaction at the bottom of my screen, but nobody else can. So that's kind of so bad. He's not so bad. He's out of state, right? He's he's kind of looking at you kind of funny. Um, but wait, before we before we talk about Mike and before we bring Mike in, can we talk about next week, Megan? Megan Everett from uh, the McCormick Foundation. Yeah, she's exciting. I mean, I can't wait to have her on. She does so many amazing things, uh, like big picture strategic things that you'll probably see the results of like four or five years down the pipe. Just talk about such a uh, mover and shaker. I'm stoked. Yeah, me too. Me too. I'm uh, really, really excited about that. So that is actually at this exact time next week. So uh, make sure you set your calendars. And if you need a uh, reminder, text uh, text Angel. He's happy to send a personal reminder emails to absolutely. For Megan, I'll do it. There we go. See, I knew it. Shipmate. I totally knew it. Um, all right. So let's let's jump in because hey, I know we're going to have remind a... everyone to, if you like the content or you don't like the content, we want to hear about it. This is an interactive, this is your platform. It's for all of us. And if you want to see something or someone, uh, please, please get us feedback on that and, um, and like, share, um, tell your buddy, tell your grandmother, whatever you got to do, um, just keep promoting and, and the more people we reach and uh, the more people we're able to help, the better we feel that we're, we're serving a purpose and we're really uh, giving back to our brothers and sisters. That's I'm glad you said it. I'm glad you said it. So your grandmother is, uh, is, is out there watching. She's 92, 90, 94, 94 years old. 
and she is like three foot tall, and she has 13 <laughs> kids. I think I think call her the bionic uterus. She was giving out kids. Like the whole Vietnam era. I think the whole your whole army platoon was furnished by my grandmother. There, there we go. Mike is laughing over here, so I'm gonna bring him in because he's got a big smile on his face. So there we go. Usually usually CSMs are known as like these big bad, you know, scary monsters. And I just wanted to prove that that is not always the case. So there we go. We've got Command Sergeant Major retired, Mike Hall, who as uh, as Angel just said, uh, in in fairness, it was Angel I called you old. It wasn't me. And you know, uh, he's chronologically sophisticated. There we go. <laughs> there we go. He brings over 34 years of military service and nine years of commercial sector experience and uh, sits on the Wounded Warrior Project Board of Directors. And he is the executive director of the Three Rangers Foundation on the board of many organizations. We're not going to go through the entire list, but he is currently the honorary command sergeant major of the 75th Ranger Regiment. And he has continued his service in many, many different capacities. His military career began back in 1976. That's right, 1976, not 1776. He served in a variety of positions over the next three decades, leading up to his appointment as the Command Sergeant Major of the U.S. Army Special Operations Command in 2001, served in multiple deployments, uh, and uh, retired from active duty in 2008, but apparently Army couldn't do without him, so he's brought back in in 2009 to assume the role of Command Sergeant Major for the International Security Assistance Force, and then again retired in from active duty in 2010. Many, many, many awards, and uh, again, uh, has this recognition of the longest-serving Command Sergeant Major of the Ranger Regiment. So truly, truly an honor. Mike Hall, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. Did they have the, did they have the Al Pacino mo moment where you went, just when I get out, they pull me back in. <laughs> Uh, Great to meet you, Mike. Definitely, definitely a pleasure. And uh, I, I, I'm so excited to touch you about. I think Al Pacino was that little icon up there. I read that the other day. He was actually the original icon for Facebook, I believe. So, little Al Pacino. Uh, really? Of course, Al, I think Al Pacino played a ranger in a movie, too. Set of the Woman or something like he that. Was, yeah, he was. Wah! And he did the chokehold thing on the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't ever want to see someone do that. <laughs> My two best friends are Rangers, and it's just it's just funny because I told them you, we were having you on, and they were like, "Real oh, shit, my call." I was like, "Yeah," <laughs> and they didn't even say he owes me money. They didn't say that either. <laughs> but Mike, if I can, Shalom, you don't mind? I'm gonna jump in real quick, Please. Mike. I, we, we're going to get to your career and everything, but the one thing I always wonder is, and I get asked by uh, corporations with my firm, is how does, how do military, because I've known military leaders, Master Chief, I was in the Navy, so Master Chief, Sergeant Majors, Colonels, Captains, Warrants, I was a Warrant, so uh, some people struggle because they have a very limited leadership toolbox. And it's, it's uh, more of a, this is what's on my sleeve, so you better do what I say. And I've always found that that's not, that's not a good, you're pretty myopic. You've been very successful in corporations and, and leading, and, and, and it's transferred over. And what do you think are some of the tools that you built earlier in your military career that enabled you to make that tr uh, transition successfully? 
Well, I, you know, one thing I learned very early uh, from from my leaders was uh, one with humility, obviously. Uh, you know, some people, every, everybody talks that, everybody says that's the number one trait, but very, you know, but it's, it's different to act it. And, uh, you know, that, that's one thing I, I learned. You know, another thing I learned is, you know, leaders, you know, people, people don't do the really, really hard things in life because somebody tells them to do, you know, the, 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 the squad doesn't charge the machine gun bunker spitting out uh, bullets because the lieutenant says charge the machine gun bunker. You know, they, they do that because they have, they have confidence in their leaders that, that their leaders have thought through what they're asking them to do. They know that they're in the best hands. They have confidence on the people on their left and right. Uh, and, and, you know, that leader has, has, has earned their respect that they're going to do what he asks them to do. Cause nobody, nobody does really hard things in life because they're, they're told to do it. I mean, you really, they're asked to do it. And, you know, leaders, you know, leadership to me is really, really hard. It's something you have, it's something you have to do every day. You have to think about it. Wow. You know, leadership. Every day, is, huh? Yeah. And, and, and I think I did maybe cause I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty sensitive guy. You know, people, your friend may say, no, he's not. But, yeah, I'm a pretty sensitive guy. And I think that about all the time because what's always driven me was was to not to let my folks down. And, you know, working hard to earn respect every day. And uh, so, you know, it's I, I had an old first sergeant tell me that, you know, being a, being a leader is like, it's like being, a, you know, on parade 24-7 where you're out there in the middle of the field. And yeah, everybody's watching charge and everybody's looking at you everybody's yep. looking at everything you do yeah. you middle parade field they can't really hear what you're saying but they watch what you do and uh i've always tried to look at life of course i haven't always been successful i have a lot of things that uh, that i regret i have a lot of things that i said that uh that i regret uh you know hopefully yeah. not hopefully my actions my actions have overcome that with with many folks but uh that that's what I learned is, is you've got to learn the respect of, of you got to earn the respect of, of your folks every day. And, and, and it's not, you know, leadership is up, down and, and sideways and you got to treat everybody the same and you got to lead everybody the same. If you're, a, if you're a senior to folks, you got to treat those same, you got to treat them and be the same kind of person as your peers. And you got to be the same kind of person to your superiors because everybody, you know, Everybody figured that out pretty quick, you know. If if if, if they see that you're a different person, no, no, depending on what environment you're you're in. So, I, I think that's that's what I what that's what I learned, and that's what I always strove to do. And uh, and and again, I, I thought about it all the time. I, I, I you know, lead. again, to me, leadership was work. It was something that I I think I, I in one way or another I thought of all the time. And. And, you know, like a lot of things I'm going to say tonight, I mean, I wasn't always that way. You know, you know, a lot of things that I'll say might, might, aren't necessarily things, aren't necessarily the way I, I did things, but they're the way I wished I had done things. Because, you know, you never really learn your job. You never really learn, you know, and, and, until you left it and, and you look back. So, I mean, sometimes we, we you know, leaders, leaders get in that rut where they, they can be frustrated because, you know, folks aren't doing what they they thought they're supposed to do. And when you were in that level, you know, you, you didn't make those mistakes, but yeah, you did. You, you just forget about them, you know, or, or all new mistakes. 
one time and we all learned and we all matured and you know some of the things I did and the way I thought when I was younger I've, I've changed over the years because because you know fortunately I was around great people that taught me great lessons and I, I do think it's I think the lessons that I learned along the way are you know probably a third from the folks that were that uh, that that were under me a third from my peers and a third from my leaders I, I really do and it's it's hard for me to pick out any one person. Like I got vignettes of different people that affected my life very significantly. My my first squad leader, uh, you know, had had a tremendous effect on me. Uh, but uh, yeah. So, it, so Mike, he, he just tells people to jump over, you know, jump over the side of the boat, and they all do that because they don't want to mess with masterpiece. But you know, the army's not like that. You gotta. So, Mike, I, I have to ask, um, going back to 1976, you joined, you joined the Army. Why? why? Why did you jump in? Why did you walk into a recruiter's office? And there wasn't a lot of good sentiment about the Army or the military as a whole around that time. People were, like, really hating on it, right? Well, I, you know, I, I, uh, uh, I, I didn't grow up too well off. I spent most of my life growing up on, uh, on welfare, uh, so we weren't well off. I mean... You look back, you weren't missing things, but I mean, it, it, I don't think I was going to go to, I don't think I was going to go to college because, you know, the, even, you know, that, that really, because I wasn't very smart or I didn't do very good in school. So a scholarship wasn't there. You know, I thought it was a really good in sports and I thought I should get a, you know, a scholarship to do that. But unfortunately the coaches didn't see it the same way. So that wasn't going to happen. But, you know, but you know, it was also, I mean, that was sort of the things you did in the mid seventies. I was still of that culture in Northeast Ohio that, that, you know, a lot of folks, you graduated high school and you went into service and you served your three or four years and you came back out and uh, you went to work for, you know, maybe you went to community college or uh, you went to work for U.S. Steel or Ford Motor Company or General Motors or, or uh, the, you know Cleveland Electric or something like that, and you know that's what that's that's sort of kind of what you did. I mean, uh, you went in to serve, and that was that was a culture. I had you know I had a couple uncles that that I greatly respected. You know who I mean they that's what they did after high school. You you joined the service. One joined the the Air Force. One joined the uh, one joined the Navy. But that's just sort of what you did, and, and I, I didn't give it a lot of thought, quite frankly. I wasn't I didn't know. I didn't know how, how the military had come out of Vietnam. I, I learned that much later, but yeah, that, you know, I went down there and I was actually, I actually always wanted to be a Marine. And uh, so I'd, I'd sort of signed up to be a Marine. I walked in and they said, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to be an infantry guy. And they said, Oh boy, this is 1976 after Vietnam. I mean, they had to pay guys like a gazillion dollars to go infantry. And uh, so I said, Oh, we got a sucker here. And I was walking out in Lorraine, Ohio. Right next to the Marine Corps recruiting station was the Army recruiting station, and a Army major was standing up there in his khaki smoking a cigarette. That's what you did back then. And he said, "What are you doing?" I said, "I'm being Marine." He goes, "What do you want to do?" I want to be a Marine infantryman. He goes, "Ah, we got something better. We got Rangers." I said, "What's a Ranger?" You know, they took me in and he told a bunch of stories about the Ranger Battalion, which were all made up because the Ranger Battalion was brand new. And I signed a bunch of papers and. I was, I was still too young because I was delayed enlistment and, and I took it up to my mom and, and I said, I said, you need, I need you to sign these. And she said, why? I said, so the recruiter can talk to me because I'm too young. She goes, okay. And she signed it. Of course, what she signed was, was uh, for my permission to, 
to join the service, and uh, I, that's what I did. So wild! What a wild ride! Now you went through Ranger School, and and which is an incredible task. And you went to, I'm sure you went to your first, they call it a regiment or something like that, Ranger Regiment or? Just battalions then, the regiment. Thank you. It was the first um, Ranger and the second Ranger Battalion, yeah. At what point in your career did you say, man, I kind of, I mean, you have a long career and very full and a lot of stories. And, and I always tell people, if you haven't served with people that, that um, came in the military under the draft era, you haven't lived. Because it's a different class of people, man. It, the stories that I could, that we could share, I'm sure, are phenomenal from the draft era. But I wonder, it seems like some of them were mentors and stuff and, and showed you good and bad leadership traits. At what point did you say, you know what, I kind of want to do this. This is kind of my thing. I, I never really did. I mean, uh, I got lucky. <laughs> I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting for that minute. <laughs> Everything that my recruiter told me did not come true. I mean, we went to basic and AIT and and uh, the drill sergeants, you know, stood up there one day and called off a bunch of names. And I got on a bus to go to airborne school. And I said, hey, I'm supposed to go to airborne school. Drill sergeant says, no, you ain't. I said, yeah, I'm going to the Ranger Battalion. He goes, no, you ain't. You're going to 24th Infantry Division. I said, no, 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 no. So uh, I, I'm sure the recruiter just misunderstood things. Of but it all, it all worked out. I ended up going to the uh, replacement detachment there. and. At, at Fort Stewart, and uh, a first sergeant named Gary Carpenter, and, and two staff sergeants that looked like King Kong showed up and <laughs> said, Be a ranger. I said, That's what I signed up for. So they gave me the old five event PT test, and they didn't really pay any attention. You know, some of the guys that go through rip and rass now can't, can't understand that. So, uh, so I got there, and you know, my, my first day, my squad leader gathered me around with the whole squad, and he said, Well, you know, this is a uh, you know, here's we got some standards here. You know, we, we're, we're a, a starch and spit shine unit. And uh, you know how to spit shine your boots? I said, no. So he grabbed one boot and he shined it. And he gave the other boot to somebody else in the squad. And they shined the other one. And uh, he said, you got it? And I said, yeah, I think so. He goes, you know how to you know how to iron? Iron? <laughs> I won't say anything. But I said, no, I don't know how to iron. So uh, you know, he, he, uh, he starched one of my, one of my fatigues. They were the old old Vietnam era cami fatigues that we were wearing back then. And the olive green ones? Uh, they were camouflage. They were before. They were OG-107s, but they were uh, camouflaged. They were still with the same ripstop. And then, the, you know, five other guys disappeared, and, you know, and they came back with my uniforms all starched. And, you know, we, we still want our rank here because we're paratroopers, and you ought to sew no. And so he sewed it, and, you know, and then the rest of the squad sewed all my stuff. And. And, you know, that was my reception and integration. And, wow. yeah, the, the NCOs were pretty tough, you know, but that but that taught me teamwork. And, you know, I was never a runner. And, and the Ranger Battalions back there were very, very physical. I mean, very physical. And, uh, you know, but I was never going to quit because I was never going to let this guy down. I mean, no matter – it didn't matter what the unit was doing. I just wasn't going to let him down because he had earned – you know, immediately had earned my respect because he, of the way he, you. he grabbed you and owned you, you know, owned it and said, this, you're, you're part of us. Yeah. And I mean, and, and again, there was, you know, the, the army, the non-coms could be physical back then, uh, but not physical, not physical in, you know, uh, you know, because they had power and you didn't kind of physical. I mean, there was times to be physical because that, you know, that was the method that, that was needed at the time. 
you know, to, to bring your point home, but it wasn't, it wasn't mean. It wasn't for the sake of being mean, you know, but I, I don't, re- you know, I, I don't recall any bad examples. And, you know, we had the, we had what I like to call, and I could be wrong. So I only know a very sh- small sliver of the army. We, you know, we had the, we had the best of the professional non-commissioned officers left in the army had, you know, had migrated to the Ranger battalion. So, well, I did, I did like three or four years. I'd gotten married in that time. My, my wife was, uh, was, uh, uh, she was the late enlistment. Also, we met after we enlisted. She joined the Navy, spent four years in the Navy. She she was the uh, the first group of women to to enlisted women to go on ships out of Norfolk on the USS L.Y. Spear. Uh, we got married in '78, and uh, we thought, you know, it came time to re-enlist. You know, she got out, and uh, I thought, well, I'll do another hitch. I really like this, you know. And uh, things went along. She got pregnant. We had our son, and I thought, well, you know, well, let's stay in a little bit longer. And, uh, you know, cause I really liked what I was doing. And, and at, back then you didn't have, you didn't have to leave the Ranger regiment as long as you could hang or the Ranger battalion as long as you could hang. And subsequently I, I made Sergeant major, uh, and I was, I, I was transferred to be the, the Sergeant major of third battalion, 187, 101st. And I was, I was, uh, driving home from work and I was looking at my LAS, your leave and earnings statement. And up in the upper right-hand corner, it had years of service. And it had 20. And I pulled off the side of the road and I go, holy smokes. How did this happen? I could be tired. How did this happen? I mean, that's just the, the kind of career that I had and the kind of people that, that I was uh, involved with. I mean, I, I, I enjoyed it. I got a lot of, a lot of satisfaction of, of, uh, of being in organizations where, you know, it was serving with people that, that, they thought, you know, that, that understood there was something bigger than themselves. They were willing to sacrifice for others. Uh, and that's, that's really my story on, on how it happened. And, you know, I never wanted to be a SAR major. I think there weren't a lot of senior NCOs back then, and it has to do with the way the Army was. It, it really stood out to me. I just wanted to be a Ranger Rifle Company first start. And uh, I thought I'd get out because, you know, what, what kind of job satisfaction can you have when you become a SAR major? But but I became one and found great, you know, I found I was able to influence and then moved up to different levels. And every, every time I thought I'm not going to do this and I was able to move up to different levels. And, and I think I was able to, to make an impact. And, uh, that's, and, and then when it came time to retire, there just wasn't anything else I wanted to do. Uh, there weren't any jobs out there that interested me and I retired. And as you said, I was retired for about 364 days and I was asked to come back because something that I thought was important. Someone asked me to do uh, someone that I respected. I thought the mission was, was important. I thought we had the support to do the mission. And uh, so, so I came back in. So uh, Mike, I, when you look at today's army, um, I, I always hear a lot of comments from, uh, from folks that I know uh, retirees and they say, well, it's not the same army. It's not the same army. They look at the, the uniforms that are uh, perhaps a, a little, uh, a little more comfortable. Uh, they look at the boots that don't need to be shined and they look at the uh, training and, you know, a lot of the comments right now are, you know, basic training, you know, there's no shark attack or something like that. I don't know. Everybody has a comment on something. What, how do you feel? Is it, is it the same army that, that you were in? Uh, yeah, it's much better. I mean, I, I'm lucky, as, as you mentioned, the honorary star major of the regiment. And uh, so I, I get to stay in touch with what's going on. Uh, they, they have a selection assessment process. And, and sometimes I'll sit on the boards to provide, you know, some, some background or some professional development for the, for the officers and, and non-commissioned officers coming into the unit. And, 
yeah, it's it's a good thing I made Sergeant Major when I did because if I joined today, there's there's no way I would have you know risen to those ranks. You know, they're 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 uh, the army has gotten much smarter on how they train people, uh, on how they lead people. The, the equipment is much better. Uh, they're certainly more educated. They, for the most part, uh, they are, you know, uh, more motivated for, for the right reason. I mean, we went through a period, as y'all may remember, you know, when, when the army, the military basically rec recruited people to get them out. I mean, join the, join the army, join the Navy, you know, get a skill, you know, and, and remember that chief, I mean, I mean, they, the military basically recruited people to get out and they came in for education and benefits and all that, not to be professional uh, military folks. And, and, and that's really changed. Uh, you know, the 9-11 has obviously had, had something to do with that. Uh, I think the enlisted ranks, the enlisted ranks recovered from Vietnam much quicker than the officer ranks. But, you know, especially since the war, I mean, our officer ranks, the, the quality of the quality of the commissioned officers that I see now is just, I mean, night and day from. I mean, we had some good officers, obviously, in, in the 70s and 80s in the ranges. We always had we always had quality officers, but not the quality we have now. Not as not as smart, not as innovative, uh, you know, not as not as good leaders as, uh, you know, they're much better leaders and, and much smarter than, than we had, you know, much more dedicated uh, than we had back then. So, yeah, the Army, you know, a, a lot of the things we used to do were not the smartest things, you know, shark attacks and stuff like that. I mean, there were there. At one time, there was a purpose for that, you know, but like a lot of things, sometimes sometimes the purpose of something can get lost and it just becomes, you know, just, you know, why are we doing that? You know, why why is that a standard? Why, you know, why is that important? You know, and sometimes then you really need to ask that. And it's not if it's easier or, or it's or it's harder. You know, it's just it's just different. Are you meeting the same standards? I mean, the military is it's much more physically in shape than, than it was when I got in. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Much more educated uh you know much more innovative uh so yeah they i love that you said that because i always think about the things that we went through back in the day and, and um like crossing the lines as in the navy we have different traditions crossing the line ceremonies the navy chief initiation piece and and just getting dogged out for six to eight weeks and i just didn't see any value like your point i didn't see any value in some guy who was retired who had used to wear an anchor back 20 years ago coming and getting in my face and screaming at me, who's never even met me, doesn't care about my development or my professional, you know, how I lead people, doesn't know me from Adam, and, and it wants to just dog me out. And I'm like, what, what's the value in this? Let's do smarter things. So when people go, do you miss it? You know, do you, do you miss the old traditions? I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, it's, and again, it's just, you know, people lose the meaning of why, why certain things were done. I mean, you know, that, you know, uh, a lot of units are, are famous for, you know, what they call harassment. And, and there was certainly and, you know, there was certainly a lot of that that, that went on uh, in, in the Ranger Battalion at different sides. You know, I, I tell my integration, story, ah, I wasn't like that. Well, yeah, it was, <laughs> you know, and uh, but then they'll tell their horror stories. And that's because, you know, uh, you know, people forget that there was a reason. For, I mean, when General Abrams formed the Rangers Battalions, he said there will be a right of initiation. You know, but he didn't mean harassment. He didn't mean, you know, he didn't mean sophomoric, you know, people have power over you just to do make you do stupid things. You know, he meant, you know, there needed to be there needed to be a rite of passage, you know, for you to understand what it was to be part of this organization. And, you know, different, you know, throughout the years, sometimes that got lost, I, I think. And, and I think most people will agree with that. I mean, at the end of the day, the, the purpose, even though it, it 
in many cases, it should have been done differently and better. I mean, it it works. It it turns an org. It turns people into better people. It turns them into a better a better organization. You know, but you know, but sometimes there's better ways to do it. But you know, but it does work. And you know, uh, everybody looks back and they go. I didn't, I didn't understand what was going on at the time. I still don't agree with everything, but I sure I'm glad that it happened because I'm a different person and and I'm glad it happened. I just, I wish, you know, some people people will take it the wrong way and and say, nah, now it's your turn. And some people will say, no, there's there's a smarter way to do this. And I think that's what we got a lot more than anything else is there's a lot more people going, now there's, there's a smarter way to achieve this. I see that in most of my Ranger friends in it, what you said was, you go through this, this vetting, this gauntlet or whatever uh, uh, of training, and it's to assure that the people you look around not only have the same competency and endure it and communicate and understand things the same way, but they're a cut above. They're not the guy you got to worry about, look to the left and right. You know that they're going to be of the same caliber and character because you went through the same thing that they do. And there's there's value, great value in that. Yeah. I mean, there, there has to be, you know, people have to be tested. They have to be stressed. You know, but there's, you know, the most most U.S. military organizations, their 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 tests, their stress, their 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 assessments, you know, was based on the British SAS model, which, you know, was was very good. And and they use physical events. But, you know, you know, that's a good example. I mean, they use physical events to to be able to look at you as a person and say just kind of person. I mean, yeah, there was minimum standards, but it wasn't about being, you know, being the, the best in shape. It was. They ran you through physical tests because that was a tool to, to that that was you know that that was a stress they put you through to see how you reacted to it. I mean, it's like you want someone on a two mile run that that finishes in five minutes and hasn't broken a sweat. Uh, yeah, you probably maybe can use that guy in your organization, but then what about the guy that that crosses that line in fifteen minutes and trips over the line and pukes all over himself and couldn't move another muscle? I want that guy too because I can get that guy in shape, you know. But but to get that kind of motivation, the heart, the heart is there. Yeah, the heart. You know, that's that's the kind of that's the kind of person that I really want because I know this person's never going to let me down if if I show him the proper leadership and I you know I can get anybody in shape in six weeks. Well, I used to be able to get anybody in shape. In six weeks. <laughs> you know, I'm phase, you know, I'm past the phase of getting old. I'm now old, so. Hey, Mike, they, they might call you back in for round three. <laughs> I don't know what we never need me for, you know. <laughs> it, you know, it's it's a wild, wild journey that you've had. So you've come across um, a, a lot of people. And, and you know, I, uh, you and I talked, uh, you know, I commissioned through OCS. So we were right, you know, down, down the road from the infantry school and, uh, you know, constantly hearing shouts of Rangers lead the way. So, that is not just a line um, that's re- referring to, I think as you were just alluding to and Angel was talking about, in terms of military service, Rangers do lead the way. And, and hopefully these are there are lessons that you have learned from your experience that you've taken into the, uh, into the civilian uh, side of things. I know that you have been a, uh, a soldier at heart, um, soldier for life uh, in every step of the way. But what are some of the leadership lessons that you feel that Rangers today bring into the workforce and that you are, you know, proud of marketing through the Three Rangers Foundation? Yeah, 
I think what Rangers what Rangers bring for the most part is 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 one they understand how to work with people from all kinds of different backgrounds. I mean, most of us most of us grow up in in very uh, sheltered is probably the wrong word, but we grow up you know very with a very narrow circle of friends. Uh, you know, we we're around people that are like us for the most part. We all are. I mean, that's probably gotten it's probably even different now from. From, from the mid seven, yeah, I, you know, I, I lived in some places that were very, very diverse. Uh, you know, some of my some of my younger years and what we used to call the projects, I think they call them thousand nowadays. But you know, I, so uh, you know, but the military teaches you, you know, that people are different and everything. You know, some of the things that you thought you knew, when you, once you get to talk to people and learn, you know, and, and learn about other people, you realize no, that's that's not exactly true. That's true to you. Uh, but they, you know, but other people have a very different perspective of it, and, you know, and being able to to understand that, I'm, I'm not sure empathy is the right word. You know, it, it's true understanding of that people see things differently because we're all products of our our experiences. So, you know, especially uh, in the military, you know, especially in the Rangers, you know, you have a very diverse background. I mean, you got you get everything from from PhDs. I, I once had a uh, a pediatrician. Uh, Grenadier and and my company, so the army figured that out and made him made him become a doctor. Uh, you know, so you get everything from from folks like that to you know uh, farm guys. You know, right off right off the farms. You know, so it's, it's very diverse from you know inner city inner city kids. You know, it's it's very very diverse. And you know if you know some people get that in college, but they don't because again people go to colleges of with they go to colleges with people that they grew up. I mean, it's not good. It's not bad. I mean, comfortable with that. I mean, why don't you? You know, you had relatives to go there. You had friends go there. So you, you go there. So you really don't get that diversity of thought and understanding uh, in the civilian world. So that's one thing you get is that kind of diversity and realize that you have to understand people and what motivates people is different. Uh, and and uh, you know, to bring them together as as a team, and it has to be a team because I mean, it, you know, especially in the Rangers, everything you do is team, 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 team. You know, your only strong is, is your weakest link. You know, if, if somebody falls out, everybody's, you know, if somebody falls out of the run, you know, the platoon's going to circle around and, and you know, catch up with him and bring him back into formation and they're going to start running again. So that five-mile run is going to be in seven miles because you keep having to circle around, you know, and get, get that guy that just can't quite make it, you know. But, you know, but that, that won't be a pattern because he's going to realize, you know, all those people are there to help him, and you know that that's not going to happen much. So, you, you, so one is one is certainly diversity. You know, Rangers Rangers sort of have a, a reputation because they're known as a very disciplined force, but the Rangers aren't really a disciplined force; it's a self-disciplined force. And so, you know, once you understand that, you understand, you know, that it's 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 important to be innovative. It's it's you you can't be rigid. Because you're, you're you're going into so many situations, so many kind of unknowns. You know that's what you're always really training for is, is for the unknown. So you know you go into any civilian uh, occupation, you know, with a, a diverse group of people, and and you understand you can look around and say, you know, this is what's right and this is what's wrong. There's some technical things in there that that you may have to catch on, but you know, but but grabbing those people and 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 bringing them together. Uh, to motivate them to, to do something that's that's for the greater good, you know I think that's that's what they bring and you know and and if you, if you look around at, at guys and gals that have gotten out of the out of the Ranger Regiment, you know they're, 
they're usually pretty dang successful. You know, given the opportunity, they go there, they have a chance to to uh, uh, go in an organization and, and they make organizations better because they make people better because it's, they realize it's not about them. It's, it's, it's about the organization. You know, a lot of, a lot of civilian organizations have figured that out that, you know, incentives aren't personal incentives, you know, it's gotta be a group incentives and, you know, and those kind of organizations I think are, are the most successful. And, and that's what Rangers do is it can make organizations like that better. You know, what you described uh, uh, as far as, um, how military veterans or military service members and rangers embrace diversity and create an inclusive culture where everybody's relying on everybody else. That is just such, such an important thing that so many people don't get. And when you leave the service, you realize I had, I've had rose colored glasses. I thought everybody was like me. Everybody, you know, that's my brother, Jerome, that's my buddy, Twan, you know, whatever, you know, and you realize that the rest of the, I don't say country, but a lot of places that you go aren't, like us <laughs> right and i was wondering whether well, there's a question here in your experience with corporate america corporate corporations how do you how do you engage with with cultures and with climates where people don't really get and understand things the way we understand them yeah what i found is 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 more than anything else it's, it's communication organizations don't communicate well. i mean okay. they're very the military is, is famous for chain of command, boom, 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 everything comes down there. But as we all know, that's not really how it works. I mean, it, it is, it, you know, there's the, you know, people, people come up from all levels and, and, and make the organization better. But to, to me, you know, most civilian organizations are, they're the ones that are very hierarchical where, you know, the CEO, everything comes down the chain of command and, and, and everybody, you know, whatever the boss says, everybody's got to do because they're, you know, they're afraid they're going to get fired or whatever. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so I, I think, I think making people understand that it, that it, that it doesn't have to be that way. And, and what are, you really want your organ, you know, every, every, every CEO will say the same thing. I need bottom up feedback, but they don't put communication systems in to get to bottom up feedback, you know, that, you know, you know, what's famous right now is, well, we're, we're, we're going to have a town hall. And I had a town hall and people told me what they really thought. No, they didn't. <laughs> because their bosses are around and. And they're and, looking right at them. <laughs> you know, and, and everybody's afraid of, of saying anything. That's not communications, you know, but, you know, it's it's a matter of, you know, leadership by walking around. It, it's a matter of, of having forums where you force people to communicate. And, you know, again, humility comes back into that of every once in a while, you, you got to, when someone says something, you got to go, yeah, you know, we were doing it that way, but now we're going to change it. But, but it's not about, it's not about what you say. It's about what you do. You, you listen to people, it's not always saying, yeah, I agree with you. You know, saying, I don't agree with you. And here's the reason why sometimes it makes people happier because they know they've been listened to. And, you know, but then, you know, later on, as you see what they're saying, you know, maybe a change and, and they see changes in how people act. So I think in, in corporate America, what people have to understand, and that's what the military is really good at is, is communication because there are, you know, you're always communicating it. And there's so many forums, you know, the military is the military is basically a two up organization. I mean, it's it's the person two levels above you who really controls your career, who really controls your life. You know, and you should have yeah, that next level of leadership. And again, most civilian organizations aren't like that. And that's 
that's what's magic about military is when you're communicating two levels down, instead of just getting one person's opinion, you're actually getting two, you're hearing it straight from the top and you're able to, to ensure you, you get the intent. You know, it's remember that the telephone game, you, you all sit in a circle and one person tells yeah. one person. Yeah. Yeah. By the time it gets all the way around, what the first person said has nothing to do with it. Well, if you whisper to the next two people and they whisper to the next two people and they whisper to the next two people, i.e. communicating two levels, you know, at two different levels, by the time it gets back around, guess what? They probably said the same thing. And, you know, and that's, you know, but a lot of leaders don't want to do that because they think that they're, you know, they're abdicating some of their power. You're not. I mean, you're still responsible for what they do. You're still responsible for that guidance. You know, but you know, how many times, how many times in organizations where the, where the CEO gets frustrated? I told people to do this. How come they're not doing it? It's because it got interpreted different. You know, if, if, if you have a, if you have an hour meeting and, you know, it's just the boss and his direct reports and, you know, now the direct report, they go talk to their people. So you had an hour meeting that the boss thought was really important. How much of that, that hour long meeting do you think the direct reports took to their people? Seven, eight, ten minutes. So what happened to all the other information? If the other part that was important, I mean, it's natural. We we take it and we tell people what we think that they need to know. But we, we you know, but we have to realize we don't we don't know what they need to know because we don't really know their jobs. We think we know their jobs, but we don't really. So, you know, having a robust communication, and again, you have to have a plan for it. You you have to force communication. You have to make sure it's done at all levels. It has to be done rhythm, rhythmically. Uh, so, so you make sure that you are really talking to people. If you don't, I mean, all of a sudden, you, you know, a crisis happens and, and you go down to you go down to the head of your supply chain and say, hey, we need to fix this. And he goes, well, that's what we've been doing it for a while. And it's been pretty successful. And you realize, well, wait a minute, this has been going on for nine months. How come I didn't know about it? Because you didn't have, you know, good, steady communication. That's what leaders do. Leaders communicate. Uh, leaders enable other people to be successful. And sometimes I think leaders, leaders forget that they think that they have all the answers, but they, you know, but their answers don't, what a leader says, you know, when it goes down to three or four levels down, no one can explain to that person three or four levels down, you know, what the CEO really wants, what his really intent is, and you'll never achieve it unless you, unless you put in good communication systems that, uh, your disciplined communication systems. And again, most organizations don't do that. Yeah, they don't put the controls in place with change management, like uh, to garner stakeholder, you know, the frontline stakeholders support. Because that they're usually what I found is if they're part of the solution, they usually understand the why. Give me the yep. why. Yep. So tell me about Three Rangers. Um, tell our listeners about Three Rangers. Tell us about the important work you're doing, how they could support you, and frankly, anything else that you're involved in, because I know that, uh, you know, we always say on this show, we all serve. It's, uh, you know, you've continued to uh, to wear a different kind of uniform. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Well, the, uh, the Army, and I assume the other services, you know, they have Soldier for Life program, uh, and, and uh, the Rangers have, have taken that down to their level. They have a Ranger, what they call a Ranger for Life program. And that's where three rangers, uh, along with our partner Gallon Few, come in to. Uh, it, it's really to help 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 soldiers or, or help rangers. It's it's a very specific mission. We only we only really deal with with members, you know, transitioning members, already transitioned members of the ranger regiment. It's not because we don't like anybody else or we don't care. It's just, you know, I I wanted to be able to 
to know that I made a difference, to know the Three Rangers Foundation is making a difference for, you know, a specific group of people. I mean, there is, I don't know, I think there's like 64,000 nonprofits out there, you know, veterans nonprofits going out to help people and you know, everybody trying to do good things. And so, I, you know, we didn't want to do anything that somebody else was doing. So let's just work with this specific group of people and let's help them transition. And, you know, the, the, the it's, it's, it's in support of the, the organization. The organization has figured out if you want to keep the right people, you got to show you really care. And, you know, so a lesson I learned a long time ago and, and that's been going on for the regiment for, for, for a good while now is, you know, sometimes that means you help people leave because, you know, you, you give them the information they need to get themselves better. So you, you lose this person. They go off and do something else. They go off to special forces or, or, an, or a special mission unit or they get out. But, you know, everybody else is looking around and saying, you know what, they, they helped John. You know, they gave him six months to go train, to go to this other organization. You know, they let him go to school. You know, they gave him, they gave him some permissive TDY to go to Chicago to check out this organization. Uh, you know, they, they made sure that they, they got their VA benefits done. And they go, you know, maybe they will be the Mike Hall story. You know, I you know, I really like it here. They really care about me. Maybe I'll stick for a while because, you know, this is, this is an organization I want to be in. So, we do that. Uh, we do that through uh, what we call a Ranger Network program. We have, you know, several hundred former Rangers that volunteer their time to. to Ranger gets within 18 months of, of uh, transitioning. Uh, we'll link them up with with some Ranger mentors that are, you know, he he wants to go into real estate. He wants to he wants to go into IT. He wants to move to Chicago. So we'll link them up with 20 or 30 folks that have already transitioned out and. They'll talk to them about the industry. They'll talk to them about what, what's getting out, you know, what it is to be out there, what, what it is, you know, what real life is out there, you know, and, uh, and help them make a decision. Sometimes the guys and gals will stay in. Sometimes they'll get out. You know, you just never know. But, you know, but you're equipping them with the proper tools so they can be successful once they get out. And, you know, and the regiment is famous for it. The Ranger Regiment is famous for it as well the military. I mean, we got to admit, I mean, the military is a lot family business. I mean, if, if, you, if it's, you know, it's if 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 you want to get people to join, you're going to have to talk to people that had a good experience in the military. So, you know, that's it's self-perpetuating also. But that that's what we do. We, we work with a bunch of different organizations, what we call uh, our community partners, uh, folks that 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 are truly veteran friendly. You know, we, we specifically work with or most of ours are are either ranger owned or have a ranger influence. And, and these are companies that, that are willing to, that are, that are willing to look at it, to, to look at a person versus look at a resume to give a person a good look, see, because especially if you're a combat arms guy, I mean, when you get out, I mean, you can't write a resume that's, that's going to match any job out there. You, you really can't, you know, but you know, I, I don't think, you know, worthwhile work out there doesn't, you know, people are going, they don't hire resumes, they hire people. They, they know someone. So that's, that's where the Ranger net, you know, the network comes in also. And uh, it doesn't solve all the problems, but you know, if, if you get out and, and you can find it, you, you can work for an organization with people that have similar attitudes that you had in the service. You know, that you feel like you're, you can make a difference that you, you like going to work or you don't mind going to work and you have that security. You know, if you have those things, 
I mean, there are other issues out there, but if you have those things, those issues don't go away. I don't, I don't kid myself, but you know what? They're a lot easier to deal with when you don't have those kind of stressors on yourself and on your family. So that's, that's why it's so important. And then, and then again, you know, once you get out, you have, a, you, you have more ranger buddies that you can always turn to that understand you. So that's, that's the other part you get about it. So it's a, it's a very narrow mission. Uh, again, not because we don't like other people. I don't want to help every, you know, I'm never going to turn anybody down. I'm going to try to find them the resources, but you know, it's, it's an opportunity to, to, you know, actually help and be able to talk to them individually and, and work with other, with other folks that, you know, came up in the same kind of culture and understand, you know, what their, uh, what their culture is and, and what's gonna, and, and what's gonna, you know, be satisfactory for them once they get out. Cause you, you never really find that, you know, it's, Military people, I mean, the percentage of people that stay in their first job is very, very small, like five or 10 percent because they get out and they're looking for the same kind of people, the same kind of work, uh, you know, work environment. They don't find that. So they talk to somebody and they jumped on another job and they jumped on another job and they're looking for something. So, again, through 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 our network and, and, and through organizations that a lot of organizations, everybody wants to hire vets. But there's a difference between, you know, walking the walk and talking the talk. I mean, if, we'll if call you call flag waivers. Yeah, they wave the flag and they're full of it. Put <laughs> the word out there because we want to hire guys for this job, and the job requires a bachelor's degree in this, and it requires four to eight years in this, you know, in this kind of experience. Well, then what you've just said is you're not willing to hire a vet or hire a ranger because they just got out. They don't have a degree in that specialty, and they certainly don't have four to eight years of experience, you know, in and that kind of. Yeah. You know, so put it right out there, you know, you know, 48 years in this experience or 48 years in, you know, of, of, of military leadership experience. You know, if, if you don't put that there, you know, people aren't going to apply because they're, they're not going to be eligible. And, and and again, HR is not because they're evil. That's just, you know, the system. I mean, you're going to put your resume in and, it's, and you're not going to have those prerequisites. You're never going to get looked at. You, you're just not. So, you know, we, we try to find organizations that, that you know, really care. Uh, you know, are really willing to help. And that's understanding. Uh, and that's understanding, you know, what you get when you get a when you get a veteran. And it's not all those things that that that, uh, you know, the normal JD would require. But, you know, if you if you if you want to if you want to take a shot and you want your organization to be better, you know, you, you hire a bunch of you hire a bunch of these people and, and, and they'll make it better for you. Mike, I, I just have two two last questions. I'm going to wrap up. Uh, so you do career transition. Is there also an entrepreneur and, and school element to what you guys do? Or is it just straight, we're going to find you a company so we can be around your kind no. of people? You know, guys, guys and gals that get out, they're, they're going to, they, they want to get into industry and they want to go to work and they want to go to college. You know, they want to go to school, whether it's, you know, a traditional school or technical school or whatever. So we got a bunch of guys, you know, that, that have been through school. We have, we have a, we have a great group of, uh, you know, Former former infantry infantrymen that you know all want to be doctors now. So we got a bunch of you know doctors out there that you know grab these guys. It's not easy to get into, really hard to get into medical school, and you know. But we so we got people out there to help people get get into medical school. Or we also have a bunch. We're, we're partnering with a bunch of other nonprofits that, that are really good at of grabbing you. And, you know, getting into getting into any college isn't easy. It's just not filling out a form in many cases. So we got a lot of organizations that, and again mentors. That'll, that'll say, hey, you want to you want to get into college? Okay, here's how you do your application. And uh, you know, in many cases, 
you know, in many cases, we've already had rangers that have that have been through that institution. So they'll be their mentor and they'll say, you know, OK, go talk to Mr. Smith. Mr. Smith is the person you need to talk to if you want to get this done, you know. And, you know, so that mentoring is also is also education as, as well as industry. But again, it's 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 a, it's a little bit about finding jobs, but it's really it's really about information, you know, giving people the information they need to, to make a decision. Uh, yeah, and it can and usually does end up uh, with with worthwhile work, you hope. But, you know, everybody that's been out, they have their own networks, too. So, you know, oh. again, you, you may not be able to directly help someone get a job, but but they know other people. And, and they're saying, hey, I'm looking for this kind of person. They go, you know what? I know one of those kind of people. I want to introduce you to this person. You know, so I call it the Al-Qaeda model where, you know, you have this, this spider web of, you know, networks of network, you know, and so that's very valuable too, because again, you don't have direct contact, but this, you know, your friend who you respect says, Hey, talk to this person. They don't have all the little checks that you're looking for in your HR system and your job description, but give him a shot. He's sort of like me and you go, Oh, I like you. You know, I think we could have used people like you in our, in our organization too. So again, it's, it's, you know, it's about relationships uh, more than anything else out there. So that's, that's what we're trying to build out there and the model that, that we use. Uh, we have a different name for it. It's called the spider web. Yeah. They call it spider web. I kind of, eh, not so, not so nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you share, either. <laughs> can you share with us a success story that really, really kind of warmed your heart, made you feel fulfilled after you left the service on doing this? Uh, yeah, there's a bunch of them, and uh, one. <laughs> uh, we had a we had a guy in actually a, a unit I grew up with, and and he drifted. Around. He was uh, medically medically retired uh, as, a, as a young E4. You know, got busted up pretty bad, and you know had had a lot of different kind of issues. Uh, you know, adjust uh, not only to, because of what he had been through, but but just getting out, you know, didn't have a strong family background and basically had floated around doing service jobs for about four to eight years. And then he decided, you know, Hey, I, I want to go back. I want to go back to the area where I served. And, you know, I, I want to meet some, some former Rangers that can help me. So we got him linked up with a bunch of, of, of Rangers. He thought he wanted to go into, I don't even remember what industries he had like five different interest industries he was interested in. So I talked to a bunch of people and, uh, after talking to one of them, he said, he said, you know, I want to introduce you to this person. Uh, they do real estate. He's going to real estate. I don't do real. I'm an airborne ranger. What am I going to do with real estate? <laughs> right. <laughs> we ended up talking to this person again, actually, you know, uh, uh, two, two, you know, two degrees uh, separation from, from the actual ranger mentor. And they hit it off and they, he explained to them what, you know, what, you know, what real estate was. I mean, there's all kinds of, you know, real estate just isn't, isn't selling houses. It's all kinds of different, you know, different things. And next thing I know, I get a call, you know, he, he's in real estate school. And next thing I know, he's got his own franchise. And, 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 and I heard that, uh, I heard just today, as a matter of fact, that he thinks he's going to close on a million dollar house. And wow. you know, that's coming to him. So, I mean, his, his you know, again, you know, his, the problems that he was suffering before, uh, they're still there and, and he's still getting, you know, but, you know, but he's happy. He's productive. He's looking forward to getting up every day because he's found something that, that works there. And again, you know, that that's how the network happened. And even though it was uh, 
something they never thought he would do. You know, he was talking to some, you know, some civilian who, who had never served, but you know, they, they hit it off. They, they had a connection through other people. He found, uh, he found what he thinks, you know, something he really likes to do and, you know, and, and successful and, and a productive member of, uh, of society. And, and, uh, you know, now he's reaching out and wanting to help other people. So how's that? That is exceptional. That is so great. It rolled off the tip of his tongue. I loved it. Um, <laughs> no, it's great. Mike, truly, truly, uh, thank you. Um, and I know it's uh, cliche to say, um, you know, thank you for your service, but you've you've certainly exemplified service um, throughout your time in uniform um, and uh, continued. And uh, we appreciate it. And and you're, you're one of the guys that uh, I, I will share a, a private conversation over here. Mike and I had this conversation. And as a, as a junior officer, um, you know, I, I think it's so important, that relationship. And I, I, I don't want to keep you for any longer, but we could have a whole separate uh, discussion about the relationships between officers and NCOs. And you are exactly, you know, the, the, the model of, uh, of, of, you know, why NCOs are called the backbone of the army and, um, and, you know, having folks like you and, uh, out there, uh, to, uh, to set the standard is, is, is so important. So thank you. Uh, thank you. I really enjoyed talking to y'all. Yeah, Mike, absolutely. thank you for everything you did, but thank you for everything you continue to do. You really, really, you're, you're walking the talk and, and, and filling people's lives and making a difference every day. So thank you so much. Uh, thanks for getting the word out there. And uh, I look forward to following you. And, and I hope to one day that we can meet in person and have a beverage together, adult or not a little. We'll go to the flats and do that in Ohio. Sounds good. <laughs> good stuff. So just before we wrap, um, so Angel, one more time, uh, next week's guest. Megan Everett from the McCormick Foundation. One of my, one of uh, surface warfare officer. Uh, got out and has been in the not-for-profit space and really, really supporting veterans in a very, very big strategic way and leading the way across the state and uh, I, I venture to say across the nation with some of the initiatives she's pioneering and championing. Great yeah. organization. I, I know a lot about it. Great organization. Thank That's you. awesome. Thank you. That's awesome. Great endorsement. And uh, thank you, uh, Greg, for uh, for that uh, for that, uh, kind, for those kind words and a shout out to our friend, uh, Larry Kaufman for, uh, for connecting us. Uh, very grateful for that. Uh, Larry's the best. Uh, I was just talking about Larry a couple hours ago. Uh, it comes up in every conversation. So he really does. Be- it's like the fourth podcast we keep bringing up Larry. I know <laughs> he's, he's, he's the honorary, he's Larry. the honorary co-host. Communication. I mean, that's why he's successful. That's why he helps us make them successful. He's a good person understands communication. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, we will call that a wrap again. Thank you. Um, and uh, we'll be back here same bed time, same bed place uh, next Tuesday for episode 37. I'll have to come up with a, a numerical significance for that number. Um, I don't have it off the top of my head right now, but we'll get there. Um, if you are just uh, tuning in by uh, video, make sure you click subscribe. And remember that we are also on your favorite podcast apps. Uh, Angel, anything to close with? Like and share and do good work for good people. All right. Thank you all. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.